Greetings, Bethel community, and welcome to this sermon for the third Sunday in Lent, March 12th, 2023. Our first reading for today, which I'm not going to read because this would be about an hour long, is from Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. I encourage you to pause this and go read that. Find Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. I do reference it in the sermon, but it's not necessary. So just if you happen to have your Bible handy. I'm not going to say very much here up front like I usually do, because this week's gospel reading is really long. So while I'm reading it, I just invite you to just sit back and listen. It's a very familiar story that Some of you may have heard many, many times of the Samaritan woman at the well. So just, if you want to, close your eyes. Just as as I'm going through it, just think about what do I know about this story? What have I heard? What do, what are my assumptions when about the woman, about Jesus, about what is going on here? And then we'll talk about it afterwards. All right. So get comfortable, sit back, maybe get a cup of tea. I don't know. But here we go into the gospel of John fourth chapter. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our answer is worshipped on this mountain, but, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. 
Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is truly the Savior of the world, the Gospel of the Lord. Well, grace and peace to you wherever and whenever you are listening to this. So I have two siblings. I have a sister and a brother. I'm the youngest, but we're all so close in age that we essentially grew up at the same time. We didn't always get along when we were little, but now it's kind of nice to have people you can talk to and say, hey, remember when? Actually, I really only have one person I can do that with. My brother claims to have no memory of just about anything that happened before the age of 16, which is convenient if you ask me that he has forgotten kicking me under the dinner table or stealing and hiding my favorite stuffed animals. But I remember. He's kind of like the Israelites were in our first lesson this morning, who don't remember any of the bad stuff in Egypt pretty much the second they set foot in the wilderness. They start saying, you know what, it wasn't so bad back there, and reframe their memories to give themselves an excuse to complain. I personally love Moses's very parental response of, what are you mad at me for? I, I find that feeling very relatable when my kids bring their grievances to me. Anyway, I'm lucky that when my memories start getting the better of me, I have my sister to talk to. We often find ourselves saying things like, hey, do you remember that time when this or that happened? What do you remember about it? Almost always she will remember something about it that I do not. Sometimes I'm pretty sure that I remember things right and she's the one that got, gets things wrong. But sometimes from talking to her, I'll learn something new. Something that completely changes how I feel about something that happened years ago. Because she'll have different knowledge or a new perspective. Like, yeah, I remember how mad mom was that day. But it wasn't because of anything you did. It was because the dishwasher had just broken and she got really upset right before you walked in. It wasn't you. Sometimes the new perspective I gain from her allows me to release a burden, hurt, or anger for something that I should never have been carrying in the first place. And then sometimes I learn that just maybe I'm not really the hero of a particular story 
And what I remember as one way is not the way she experienced it at all. The story of Jesus's conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well is one that is fraught with long-held meaning for a whole lot of people. To make sense of this really long passage, which is the largest sustained conversation that Jesus has with anybody in the Gospel of John, modern readers tend to make a lot of assumptions. Assumptions about who the Samaritans were, for example. A lot of popular teachings revolve around the idea that the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other with a passion, wouldn't be caught dead around each other, even though the historical data doesn't quite back that up. It is well attested that these two groups, who each considered themselves to be true Israelites, were not one big happy family, and occasionally skirmishes and violence did break up, did break out, but they did not see each other as detestable enemies. Jews and Samaritans cross paths throughout the New Testament, and there is nothing to indicate that it would have been revolutionary or dangerous or strange about Jesus and the disciples being in that region, especially during that particular time period. Then there are assumptions about first century social customs, about how men and women related. Despite the fact that Jesus speaks with women all the time, as do Paul and other men in the Bible, Somehow, this story gets upheld as an example of Jesus breaking down gender barriers. What many people don't know is that the disciples weren't surprised because Jesus was speaking to any woman, or that the woman wasn't surprised because Jesus was speaking to any Samaritan, but they were all surprised that Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Men and women meeting at wells were the biblical equivalent of today's Hallmark Christmas movie. If you turn on a movie now and see a rich, snobby executive traveling to a small town and running into an owner of a local Christmas tree farm who happens to be raising his orphaned niece, you'll know that they're going to end up in love at the end, right? Well, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a trope as seen with Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel, where a man travels to a foreign country, stops at a well and gets water from a woman goes to her family's home to eat, makes a marriage proposition, and then takes her home with him, either to marry him or his master. This scene with Jesus and this woman would have raised the eyebrows of anybody looking on, and it's not a coincidence that Jacob is brought up so often and that the woman asks Jesus if if he thinks he's like Jacob. And last but not least, over many years, so many people have made so many assumptions about the woman herself, and wrapped this conversation up with a layer of talk about sin. Despite the fact that sin is never mentioned by anyone, despite the fact that there were many normal reasons a woman might have been married multiple times, despite the fact that this woman is clearly respected by her community, so respected, in fact, that when she tells them something extraordinary, they believe her. And when they tell, when she tells them to come with her, They follow her. Even though this is what the Bible tells us, even though we meet her as a courageous woman, willing to stand up to this random stranger who seems to be hitting on her, able to speak theologically about which mountain God wanted to be worshipped on, which was the main point of contention between Jews and Samaritans, 
even though she becomes the first evangelist who recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, to whom Jesus responds with the very first I am statement, and through whom an entire village comes to believe, somehow in our world, so many people who come to this story come expecting a lesson in sexual morality, expecting the woman to be someone full of shame. Actually, this story can be kind of funny. Like, when Jesus asks the woman for a drink, her response is basically, you don't even have a bucket, my man. Who do you think you are, Jacob? And when the disciples come back from their shopping trip, they take one look at what's going on and they stop dead in their tracks. And they're like, we left him alone for five minutes and this is not what we expected to come back to. And then they're like, you didn't go eat with her, did you? Here, we have food. Stay here with us. And Jesus is just standing there all chill, like, y'all are just so literal. Is this all there is to this passage? Of course not. Do you have to read it this way? No. Jesus has a lot to say about going beyond the surface to find a true and fulfilling life with God. I don't know about you, though, but I would expect that God would expect that a true and fulfilling life would include laughter. You'll never read this story this way if you come to it with the assumption that Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. You'll never read the story this way if you come to it with the assumption that God only cares about women in terms of who they are or are not sleeping with. We make assumptions all the time about ourselves, about others, and about God. Old ideas can be very hard to shake. Sometimes we hold on to them because they bring us comfort. Sometimes we hold on to them because they have hurt us, but we don't know anything else. I knew a woman once who could only read this passage and see in it Jesus offering forgiveness to a woman who was socially rejected because of her many marriages. I don't know how, and I will never judge why, but she herself had been married multiple times, and it was easier for her to see herself as forgiven than to wrestle with the idea she hadn't done anything that she needed to be forgiven for. That idea was too far beyond her own assumptions about herself and about God. But even so, she found here, in this scripture, just what she needed to find peace with God. So I'm not saying that all assumptions have to go. All I'm saying is, don't be afraid to be open to new ones. Last week, we heard the story of Nicodemus who met with Jesus by dark of night. This week, the Samaritan woman met Jesus in the brightness of the noonday sun and let herself be open to a new perspective of who this man was and who God is. It could be that some of our assumptions could stand to be dusted off and brought into the light. Assumptions about why a person is homeless, for example. Assumptions about gender and how it shapes how we approach others. Assumptions about those whose lives, languages, or limits don't look anything like our own. Assumptions about who has money or power and who doesn't and why and how we use it ourselves when we walk through the world. Assumptions about who deserves health care, assistance, or housing. Assumptions about what God has declared to be a sin and what is actually just our own preference. It's natural for us to take what we've learned throughout our lives and hold onto it for safety and surety. It is a comforting thing to be certain of what we think we know is right. But just think. What richness, what beauty, what laughter, 
we miss when we close ourselves off to new possibilities, no matter how strange, how silly, or how foreign they may first appear. Amen. And now in terms of some announcements, my advice is always to check your Friday email. If you are not on our Friday email list, send an email to Sam in the office. Her email is office at blctemplton.org and it has to be put on that Friday email list. Um, it will give you a list of who we are praying for this week who needs some special thought and concern. And there's a lot going on. The Kingsman group, they normally meet on Tuesday in the fellowship hall in the evening. Um, Bob Cummings says they'll play it by ear. So if you have a question about that, please contact him. We've got Bible study on Wednesday. I'm doing a study on Esther. And so far it's been fun. So we're going to keep that up for the next couple of weeks. And we've got youth activities. Martha Circle will be not this week, but next week. And my main prayer for all of you is that you stay dry in this crazy rain we're having, that you stay safe, that you follow all possible precautions and know that we are praying for all of you in the office at Bethel. Have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time on the Simply the Sermon. God's blessings. <laughs>